about my recent journeys and all sorts of things. Uh, and I'm going to start off, I want to say this message is rated PG and I just say that because I'm not going to try and sensationalise anything, I'm not going to say anything or, or dwell on things that are sensationalised but when you're talking poverty sometimes there are just some issues that are really hard to handle. So parents, I just wanted you to be aware of that, maybe there's some things that, that you'll need to have a conversation with your kids about later but it's fine for them to be here, it's nothing that you wouldn't see normally on the, uh, on the six o'clock news, um, in fact most of the time it's uh, a lot easier to handle than what's on the six o'clock news. But I want to start today and ask you a question. And that question is, what are you chasing? And it seems like an odd question to start. And it's going to get even more odd because you're going to remember that this is the day that that guy from Compassion came to our church and talked about greyhound racing. Very odd, I know, but that's what I'm going to do. Now, I've never been to the greyhounds. I've never watched the greyhounds racing, but I have seen some YouTube clips that I find very entertaining. Have, has anyone seen any YouTube clips of greyhound racing? It's not a common thing, is it? But these particular ones are good. I'll tell you a little bit about, or what I know about greyhound racing, and that is that these dogs are trained right from the moment that they're born. Their sole purpose in life is to chase the bunny or the lure. And that is a lure that is attached to the inside rail at the greyhound track and that goes around on a little motor and as it goes around the dogs all chase it, they're in a box, suddenly the, the start happens, the box opens and out go the dogs and they run after this bunny. And that's their whole purpose in life. That's what they've been trained for their entire life and so they're chasing after it. Now the particular YouTube clips that I like, there's a couple out there where the bunny breaks down gets slower and then stops. So of course this gives the dogs the opportunity to do what they've been wanting to do all their lives, what they've been trained to do all their lives and that is to finally catch the lure, to catch that bunny. So you see them off they go and then the, the power goes out at the circuit and they start chasing after it and they get to it and it stops and they go up and a couple of the dogs and they just interesting and they stick their nose into it and they stand back and there's a few others behind and they're wandering around and they're looking confused and they've got no idea what to do. Here's this thing that they've been trained for their whole lives to chase. This is what they've been told that they need to do right from little puppies to this age where they're, they're chasing this lure and, and they've been trained, you've got to catch it, you've got to catch it. That's the most important thing in your life is to catch the bunny and finally they get to catch it and they well, I don't know what to do. No one ever told us what to do once we actually catch it. We've got no idea. And so I would like to ask you, what are you chasing? Because sometimes we can be a little bit like those greyhounds. We're chasing after what the world has told us to chase and we've got no idea why. But we're chasing it because they say it's a good thing to do. Let's chase after. There's a whole range of things that we can chase after. So we chase after them and it doesn't always end well. We can chase after money. We can be chasing after fame. It might be that we're chasing after success in our lives or influence. And you'll notice that a number of these things are not bad in and of themselves, are they? They're not necessarily bad things, but they can become our whole focus and that's all we're looking for. Or it might be fitness, that we spend all our time at the gym or wherever, we've got to get fitter, we've got to get fitter and that's our, our whole focus, that's the thing that consumes us. It might be love, we all want love, but sometimes 
that's our whole focus and that's all we put our focus on in life is we're chasing after love or it might be power that we're chasing after. There's not a lot wrong with some of these things but when they become our entire focus, then what? I mean, think of things like success and fame and money. You look at the people in Hollywood, those who manage to achieve those things that the world tells them should be their whole focus. And daily in our newspapers and online we read about what a mess their lives are. They've got it. They've got what the world tells them they should be chasing after. They've got the fame, they've got the money, they've got the power, they've got all these things because the world has told them you must chase after this. And just like those greyhounds, they're now just sort of going up, putting their nose in it, I don't know what to do. And their lives are a wreck. So what should we be chasing after? Let's have a look at, at Matthew. Matthew 6, and I'm going to read you verses 24 through to 33. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to follow along. Matthew 6, 24 to 33, or just read it on the screen. And it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's what we should be chasing, the kingdom of God. It says seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, yeah, some of them are, are essential. Eating and drinking and wearing clothes, fairly essential I would say but we're not to chase after these things. We're to chase after the kingdom of God. That's what we should be chasing. That's what we should be seeking after. And I guess when it says we need to seek first the kingdom of God, we've got to have a bit of an understanding of what this kingdom of God is. Because most of the time we think of a kingdom as, as a parcel of land, an area, maybe a country, and someone who, who rules over it. But that's not the kingdom of God. You'll see in Scripture the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and their, their interchangeable terms are about the sovereign rulership of God. It's when God is ruling over. So it's saying, seek first the sovereign rulership of God in your lives, in the lives of others and, and across the planet. We're seeking first God's kingdom when God is in rulership. So what does it look like? I want to read you another few verses and this time it actually comes from what Luke records when, when Jesus starts his ministry. Now I would suggest that 
if Jesus decides to start his ministry with, with certain words and, and certain concepts, that they would be important. That if this is the first time he goes into the synagogue and start, starts to teach, that the things that he teaches are things that we should take notice of. So let's have a look at Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's fairly heavy because <laughs> he was hinting at the fact that he was the fulfilment of that prophecy back in Isaiah. But here Jesus is actually describing what the kingdom of God looks like. When God has rulership, sovereign rulership over all, these are the things that happen. And, as I say, he adds that this is being fulfilled in your, in your hearing. He's saying, this is why I'm here. It's all about the kingdom, about Jesus ruling. And that means restoring and reconciling all things back to himself. His death on the cross was obviously part of that reconcili reconciliation, of, of reconciling us back to himself. He wants to draw us back into relationship and, and restore the whole of creation. And, and in fact, later in that same chapter, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He was sent for the purpose, he's saying, of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the sovereign rulership of God over everything. That's what he's saying he was sent for. And that's preaching the kingdom of God. That's the, the purpose for being here is is the good news for the poor, it's liberty for the captives, it's sight for the blind, liberty for the oppressed. These are all the things that he's outlining because when God is in charge, there is no injustice, there are no poor. We live in a fallen world. It's not about chasing what the world is chasing. Like those greyhounds, we're going to find that we'll become very unstuck if we just chase what the world says to chase. In fact, it's not only that it's not just about chasing what the world tells us to chase, it's, it's turning that completely on its head. It's not about looking out for number one, it's about falling under the sovereign rulership of the only one. We need to chase something different to the rest of the world and the good news is that while the, the scriptures point to the, the coming kingdom in eternity, we as God's agents have that opportunity to bring some of that kingdom to this world in which we live. It's not just pointing to a kingdom that will happen in eternity when Jesus returns and, and all things are made new. That's part of it. But there's a part in which we are God's agents to, to bring his kingdom to this world at the moment. Of course, part of that kingdom of God was that calling us to himself through his crucifixion and resurrection. But while we we need to remember verses like John 3.16, which are very important and we often quote. 
We sometimes forget about 1 John 3, 16, 17 and 18 where it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So how do we know that we're actually meant to be bringing glimpses of God's kingdom while we're here on this earth and it's not just pointing off to eternity? Well, it's right there in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? We pray that when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to bring some of those glimpses of God's kingdom right here on earth. We're praying that the kingdom we see portrayed in heaven will be played out here on earth. Can it really happen? I guess we need to have a look and just say, well, is God's kingdom actually happening here on earth? Do we see glimpses of it? And when we look at the reality of what's going on in our world, there's some problems. One in six people live in extreme poverty in our world today. 300 million children around the world are going to go to bed hungry tonight without enough food or maybe none at all. It's estimated that there are 30 million slaves around the world at the moment and that's everything from kids and, and adults that are working in sweatshops to make us cheap clothes so that we don't have to pay quite so much but they pay with their lives through those who are trapped in sexual slavery. There is some good news out of the bad. We're going to look at some figures over a number of years of the, the number of preventable deaths of children under the age of five because you might have remembered some of these different figures and, and for different people it will be remembering different ones but in the 1960s people were saying that there were 55,000 children dying every day, those under five, from things that we could prevent. That means we have a way to stop it, we just choose not to as a world. 55,000 every day in the 1960s. In 1990 that was very different, 34,000 children every day, still way too many. One is too many from something that's preventable, but 34,000. In 2000, it was 27,000 children under the age of five dying every day from preventable causes. And the most recent figures we have from 2011, 19,000 every day. You can see the dramatic drop, but that's still 19,000 dying every day. That's still way too many. And again, it's preventable deaths. These are things that if we had the will to do so, we could stop. These are things that here in the Western world don't trouble us. Here in the West, diarrhoea is an inconvenience. In developing nations, it's life or death. The global average child mortality rate is about 65 deaths for every thousand births. In Afghanistan it's 257 per thousand and in Burkina Faso 169 per thousand. Here in Australia it's just six. Do those statistics sound to you like the Kingdom of God? Do those statistics sound to you like this is God's sovereign rulership over all? Because I can assure you it doesn't sound like that 
for me. We can see that God is working in, in the number of deaths that are being reduced, which tells us that extreme poverty can be eliminated because for years we believed the lie that the problem was so big we can't do anything about it, so many people just chose to sit on their hands and do nothing. What a tragedy. Things that we could stop, but people thought, no. And then they misquote the scripture that Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. It's like, oh, well, so there we go. We'd, we'd better not mess with that. Jesus said it, so we're not going to do anything. Thankfully, there are people like you here at Encounter Church that have gotten on board with compassion and you see that you can make a difference and you've been doing that. And I just want to encourage you in that and thank you for that and ask that you, you continue doing that. Compassion is bringing glimpses of God's kingdom to this world. This is me earlier this year in Indonesia. And I've, uh, since 2008, I mean, I only started working for Compassion just about eight months ago, but I've been involved with Compassion for a number of years. And in 2008, I went and visited Haiti and Dominican Republic to see Compassion's work. I've seen it in Indonesia earlier this year. I've seen it in Ethiopia and Rwanda just over the last few weeks. And I'm just amazed by it every time. Maybe some of the older people here will remember that ad um, for, for Remington Shavers with Victor Kayam. You know, I was so impressed I bought the company. Well, I was so impressed I joined the company. I've, I've been on a long journey since 2008 when I first saw Compassion's work uh, and, and have just been amazed by it to, to join the company. So I'm not just the guy who comes along employed by Compassion to tell you how good it is. I'm a guy who was absolutely convinced years before I ever joined Compassion. I want to tell you some of the stories of how God's kingdom is starting to shine into to lives around the world. This is Nuwati and her son Muhammadaga. Now, Nuwati is a single mum in Indonesia, in a strong Muslim area, and she's a single mum because her employer raped her and then denied all knowledge. So she's left with her son. And in this Muslim area, she's got no support, her parents have died. And so, how does she actually survive? Actually, she does have a bit of a job. She makes false eyelashes and she makes about five or six sets a day. It's very intricate work. So she can work all day making five or six sets of false eyelashes for people to wear and that will make her about 30 cents. You can't support a child on 30 cents a day. You can't support yourself on 30 cents a day. So in comes Compassion into her area. She's registered in our Child Survival Program and recently, when Muhammad Agar was sick, he had diarrhoea, she got in touch with the, the local compassion centre and said, I don't know what to do. So they went and they took them both off to the hospital, gave Muhammad Agar the, the medicine that he needed and helped him. But the thing that blows me away and gives me a lump in my throat every time I talk about it is it wasn't just compassion helping out because when she went back to that group of mums that she meets with as part of the child survival program, those mums who are in the same level of poverty as her, probably around 30 cents a day that they're making, they heard that their friend, Nurwati, was in trouble. She, she, she needed help for her, her son. So they all put money in themselves out of money that pretty much they didn't have. They saw the need. That's kingdom living. That's seeing a need. I've got to fix that. I've got to do what I can. It's only little, but I can do that. And that's what we do when we start to sponsor children. I can't fix the entire problem, but I can fix a part of it. I see a problem, I need to do something. 
She's from a strong Muslim background. But when we asked her, you know, what do you think of Jesus? She says, I feel called. Jesus is calling her. Just a week and a half ago, I met Emmanuel. Here he is with a baby and a bike. I particularly wanted to get the photo because I love bikes. (laughs) But also I love his story. You know, Emmanuel is the proud dad of six-month-old triplets. So he's just got one of the three there. His wife was off to the side, but Emmanuel was sitting there and he's, he's got this baby and, and we watched him because we, we were a part of a, a presentation at the church and so while everything else was going along, we watched Emmanuel with his baby, with one of the babies. And you could see the love in his face. He just adores these kids. And uh, to, to make money, he makes very little, but he makes it with that old bike and the, the water is, is hard to get in his area, in his village, so he uses his bike with a couple of jerry cans to, to go to where the water is, puts it on the bike and comes back, and he charges a, a small fee to, to ferry water backwards and forwards and sometimes goes off to the market and gets some bits and pieces. And He's a bicycle courier. That's what he does. But he doesn't earn enough to look after a wife and three new babies. In fact, even more so, uh, his wife, when she was pregnant, Um, enrolled in the the child survival program in this particular area uh, in Rwanda and when it got to seven months she was having problems with the pregnancy so because she was part of Compassion's project she was taken off to the hospital she had a cesarean and she now has three healthy babies I would put it to you knowing the sort of conditions that are in that area in Rwanda where I visited If compassion hadn't been there, not only would the babies have not survived, but she wouldn't have survived either. Lives saved right away. It's just inspiring. When I visited Indonesia, I saw these young fellows. They're very happy. They're having something to eat, something healthy. Uh, They're in a, a very strong Muslim area in Indonesia. And so strong, in fact, that when this church started... Uh, to, to partner together with Compassion. There were Muslim people around the area and as soon as these kids left the program each day, they would go up to them and say, what are they teaching you in there? They were looking for grounds to, to close the place down. And so the, the people in the local church that are partnering with Compassion have to be very careful about the way that they explain Jesus to these kids because if they're too overt, they'll just be shut down and they'll miss the opportunity to talk to them even more about Jesus. So, of course, they're thinking, we're not sure how much is getting through because we have to be so careful. Well, we walked in, you know, it was a few Aussies, and, of course, you know, we'll just go and clomp in anywhere and ask the most inappropriate questions. So we went in and my colleague walks up to this small group of boys, they were just sitting around, and said, "Um, who is Jesus? Straight away, without having to think about it, he's God. They get it. They understand and in fact, one of the kids from this project went off to, with uh, the family off to, to the local mosque to pray and they're all there praying and he's praying in Jesus' name. And they say, who taught you that? He says, no one had to teach me that. That is the way you pray. You pray through Jesus' name. They're getting it. Compassion is having an effect for the kingdom. This is Melissa and she's got a dream. Most of us do. In fact, from, from when kids are, are very small and can first talk... And sometimes before we, we start asking, what do you want to be when you grow up? And in those early years, it's a, it's a fireman or something else, I don't know. 
and we start asking and then when kids get a bit older they're going through high school what are you studying what do you hope to be when you leave school and you start to ask those questions and you want to know what do you want to be what are your dreams and hopes and that's just normal and natural for us in areas where there is poverty it's not natural it's not natural to think oh when I grow up I want to be this or that because when I grow up I'm going to do exactly as my parents did exactly as their parents did and their parents did and that is I won't get an education I'll just have to work in hard labour just as my parents have done just to survive and that's it I'll work every day of my life in back-breaking work and never see anything for it when compassion partners with the local church they say we want to help you to understand there's more to life than this. We want you to break free. We want you to see that there are, there's potential. You can have dreams. And from the age of 12, those kids that are enrolled in compassion projects start to fill out this, uh, my plan for tomorrow. They fill that out once a year from the age of 12. And Melissa, from the age of 12, she's now 18, started to say, I want to be a teacher. She's now graduated from Compassion's Project, but she's back there because she's getting experience in working with kids and she still has that dream. She's going to go to university and become a teacher. It's giving dreams, it's giving hopes. You see, poverty isn't just a lack of stuff. And when we start to believe that, we think, well, the answer is we just throw money at the problem. We just give them stuff. We give them food, we give them shelter and that's it. That's not it. Poverty means different things to different people. And when you hear the stories of those who are in poverty talk about what poverty means, it means I've been robbed of my identity. I'm worthless. I mean nothing to God. God might care for other people. And we've heard this from some of the kids. I used to think God cared for other people but he didn't care for me. It was obvious because I was left living like this. We can't afford for kids to get that message about Jesus. I want to tell you a few uh, details about Compassion, just to, to put you in the picture. We've been operating since 1952, so for over 60 years, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. At the moment, we're assisting over 1.6 million children around the world in developing nations. We work through churches, and so there's over 6,500 churches in developing nations that partner with Compassion. This is one of the things I love. I turn up to Compassion Projects and I don't see a big sign saying Compassion. What I see is the church sign. And what that means is that the people in the area don't know much about Compassion. They might not have even heard of Compassion. What do they know? Those people up the road that run a church that say that they are followers of this man Jesus Christ, they love and care for our kids. It's not about an organisation called Compassion coming in and, and doing stuff that's going to help our kids. It's about the local church and we're looking to build up the local church in developing nations as much as we want to build up the local church here. Scripture talks about there being a joy in giving and being a cheerful giver. We don't want you to give and support children out of a feeling of guilt. Oh, something's happening over there. I need to do something about it. I think that's what I need to do as a Christian. We want you to be built up too and understand the joy that comes from being able to be a part of shining the light of God's kingdom into some very dark corners in this world. The next statistic is the one that gets me every time because of course we present Jesus to these kids, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name and every year between 140,000 and 160,000 of the children that are in our projects respond to the gospel and say, I want to follow Jesus. And this is not just, oh, well, this is, 
This is the part of the program. It's a Christian program. I need to tick this box and move on. These are kids that are on fire for Jesus. I've seen it in, in projects in five countries now. And each time I see kids that just love Jesus. People are being saved every time because it's through the local church. They're the ones best equipped to tell people about Jesus. And people say, but does the money actually get there? Well, there's an organisation in the US called Charity Navigator and for 13 years they've been doing an external audit on a whole bunch of charities to say who's sending the money through and who's not. Who's got good governance principles, who hasn't? And for the past 13 years... Compassion has been in the top 1% of 7,500 charities. Compassion is the only charity that for those entire 13 years that Charity Navigator has been operating that has had four stars, that's their top rating, the only one. That's not to say that there's not other people doing great work and we would never put down other organisations that are working to alleviate poverty because the unfortunate fact is there is more than enough poverty to go around. We work side by side with many others. We are Christ-centred first and foremost. And people say, oh look, that whole thing, uh, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name, drop the in Jesus' name bit and you'll get heaps more kids sponsored. Because people are happy to support kids, but that in Jesus' name, it's sort of, you know, keep doing your religious stuff by all means, but take that out of your logo and you'll get lots more kids sponsored. And we say, absolutely not, we will not compromise. First and foremost, we are Christ-centred. It's all about Jesus all about Jesus. We are child focused. We believe that if we work one on one with children that they are going to change the future not just of themselves and their family but of their community. We work one on one with them and we are church based. Both here in Australia and, and the other nations there's, there's 12 partner nations that are supporting the work in 26 nations around the world that are our field countries. We want to build up the church here, we want to build up the church there. They are the three pillars. Now this is the slide that you never can see from, a, from up on a screen but it just shows you where we're working. We're working in 26 different nations. So the dark green are our field countries and the blue is our partner countries. But of course you've heard a lot from me. I'm telling you how good compassion is and I really believe it and uh, I hope you can hear that passion, but I want you to hear it from some kids that have been sponsored through Compassion. I want you to hear the, the stories that they tell about being sponsored. I just thought to myself, 
pretty amazing when you hear it from their mouths, the things that they've experienced. And I'm really hoping that one of the things that you got from that, for those who may already be sponsoring children and for those who may sign up and, and, and sponsor a, children, a child today, is the difference that it makes when you speak into the life of a child. This is not just a financial transaction. This is about your opportunity to speak into the life of a child. You heard that with Michelle, the sorts of things that she was hearing from those who were meant to love her. You're going to be nothing but a thief and a drug addict. Compare that to the words that changed her. Michelle, you're beautiful. We love you. I've heard of kids who have got that in their, in their letters. God has a purpose for your life. If you, have, if you want to have an opportunity to speak into someone's life, to introduce them to Jesus, then sponsoring a child is a great way to do that and walk along that journey with them. It's a great opportunity. So I'd ask you to, to consider today, if you've not sponsored before, or maybe you've decided we need to add another child to our family, to consider that. 
Compassion works because it's Christ, the church and you. I'm hoping that that you'll play a part today. I, I saw a quote a couple of months back from a Peruvian priest of all people and he said, you say you care about the poor. Then tell me, what are their names? We can say we care about the poor, but do we know who they are? I know some of their names. It's like Nawati and Muhammadagar that I met in Indonesia or Melissa that I met there. It's Emmanuel that I, I met in Rwanda just week and a half ago. It's those that are in that video. Tony that was in that video, I met him a couple of months back. He was in Australia uh, talking to people about sponsorship. An amazing story. People like Michelle in that video or Richmond or Jimmy. I would encourage you to get to know the name of someone who is living in poverty but more than that to be able to support them and speak the words of life into their lives because that's when you start to shine the light of God's kingdom, God's sovereign rulership. That's when we start to seek first the kingdom of God. That's what we should be chasing. We don't want to be like those greyhounds that are chasing something that we're just told to chase. We want to chase what's real. We want to chase the kingdom of God and I'd encourage you to do that today. Thank you so much to everyone who is already sponsoring a child. Uh, and if you want to talk to me about what sponsorship means, I'd be happy to do that afterwards. But thank you so much. Let's pray. Father God, on, on this Compassion Sunday, we want to thank you. We want to celebrate uh, for those so many people here at Encounter Church who have been sponsoring children, who have taken that opportunity to shine the light of your kingdom into some very dark corners of this world. And Lord, I would ask that you would continue to work, that people may decide even today that they want to take someone else into their family, into their heart, and that they can speak words of life into their lives so that they come to know you. Lord, help us to be a people that truly do want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to be a people who want to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to meet today, to celebrate what's been done, to look forward to what can be done. And we pray all this in the name of our precious Saviour, Jesus. Amen.